Hello, we are live. Uh, welcome to this month's Monero Meet. Uh, sorry for my weird voice. I'm sick, but luckily it's not COVID, so whatever. Uh, but yeah, we, it's been two months since we've had a Monero Meet, so we have lots of catching up to do, but we have some wonderful people on. Uh, some people are still doing the thing where they joined at the last minute here. But uh, I'm going to you know, let me know and make sure that the quality is coming through just fine. If it's not, let me know in chat. Uh, but Monero meets are supposed to be pretty casual where we can answer questions, talk about recent Monero news, what's going on in the future, all that sorts of fun stuff. Uh, but first, we could do the intros like we do as always. Uh, so hello, it's me, Justin. I just do a bunch of random stuff. I'm here. Uh, we also have Arctic Mine. Hello, I'm here. Welcome, Arctic Mine. Nice to have you. We have HYC. It's a pleasure. Hey. Welcome back, HYC. We have Andres. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, we have Plausoff. Hello, everyone. Uh -huh. And uh, coming, if their audio works, Co. Hello. I'm here. There you go. Perfect. So we have a really good group of people on to talk about all sorts of Monero of stuff today. We have quite a few things that have happened um, in the in the last uh, two months. I mean, just going through the list, right? We we had uh, the DEFCON Cryptocurrency Village, which we didn't even have a chance to talk about. I won't talk about too much today, but I would say that largely was a success. Um, so if you are interested in that more, you can go to Monero Events on Matrix and, and talk about that. Uh, we also had, of course, the, the, the news, uh, the big news events were that Fluffy Pony was arrested based on allegations of wire fraud and then he was released in the U.S. So he's... He's currently out again, um, based off South Africa's inability or inability to provide required documents in time, um, and uh, we have all sorts of other fun stuff going on too. Uh, but I think it would be good to start uh, start with you, HYC. So uh, over the last month, uh, there's been a really big push uh, to have a peer to peer pool. Uh, mining Monero. And so this can be found on p2pool.io. And I checked this morning and it's now up to 3% of the Monero hash rate. Can you give it just a quick overview of what p2pool is, why it matters for Monero, why this is so cool? You know, give us a rundown. Sure. It's, it's like combining the best of both worlds between pooled mining and solo mining, right? Because uh, you get you get to join your hash rate with other miners like you do in a pool, but uh, every miner constructs their own block uh, template, block headers, and they mine their own blocks. So it's like solo mining. And the reason this is important is it means there's no single entity in control of all of the blocks being generated, right? Um, so you know, even if P2 pool gets popular enough to have over 50% of that network hash rate, there's actually no danger of a 51% attack because you know each block is still being generated by individual miners. Uh, and all of this work is, you know, this code was written from scratch by uh, S. Chernick. Uh, although the idea for P2 pool you know, was already around in Bitcoin. Like just like other things that, that Monero has adopted that first came out for Bit, Bitcoin, but didn't either didn't make it there or were never adopted. So Bitcoin's P2 pool had a big problem in that um, it, it was always 
or is there's a high frequency of orphaned blocks, right? The, the way P2Pool works is everybody is mining on a side chain and the rate of blocks on the side chain is much faster than the main chain. You know, it could be one every 10 seconds, one every 30 seconds, whatever, compared to one every 10 minutes for the Bitcoin uh, main chain. And uh, when you're emitting blocks that fast, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of tendency for multiple miners to collide and um, uh, cause chain forks on the side chain. And so in Bitcoin's P2 pool, when that happens, you know, whichever block loses on the reorg, it's just wasted hash rate. And uh, S. Chernick fixed this in the Monero implementation by adopting what he calls uncle blocks. So uncles um, are, are <laughs> parents, uncles of the orphan blocks, and uh, they allow some value of the orphan blocks to be retained. In this case, I think it's 20%. So not all of that hash rate is wasted. And this way we can still maintain a very fast block rate on the side chain, which I think in, in the current one is one, one every 10 seconds. While, um, so all, all I'm hearing is that we've, we've made Monero into Ethereum is, is, is what I'm hearing. Is that correct? That's right. We, we adopted the uncle block technique from Ethereum. That's right. But you know, I mean, you, you can't say we made Monero Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> you heard anyway, it so first. This, this has been working out really well. In fact, you know, we had 1% of the Monero network hash rate within the first week of our testing. Uh, so it's, it's actually been, um, you know, meeting and exceeding our expectations. It's been, it's been some cool stuff. No, that's fantastic. I'm glad that I, every time I check, it's just more and more of the hash rate. And it's not like Monero's hash rate's decreasing much. It's still a general trend up. So it's, it's clearly gotten a lot of people's interest. And it's, it's great that it's, you know, it's seemingly worked out so well so far. Would you, would you agree? Or do you think that there's still quite a few bugs that need to be, need to be fixed? No, in the past, you know, in the past week or so, it's been working really smoothly. You know, we, of course, had some hiccups in the first one or two weeks of testing. Um, but actually, you know, the initial test on testnet went pretty smoothly. And then we transitioned to mainnet with just a small handful of participants. And now we've opened up to, you know, the network at large. Uh, it's been working really well. Um, and, you know, so some of these other benefits that I forgot to mention, you know, it, there's, there is no custodial pool wallet, right? Every, every payout comes directly from the Coinbase transaction of a Monero block. So, you know, there's, there's no way that anybody else can run away with the funds or, you know, do, a, do an exit scam on you. It's, I saw that uh, some, it says that only certain wallets support the P2P payouts. And this is the, the you know, the wallets that most people support. So what's the backstory behind that? Why might some wallets not properly show a payout? So <clears throat> there was a quote optimization, unquote, that was added to the wallet code back when, um, I think back when Ring CT was first introduced. And that optimization was that um, for for any transactions that were newer than, you know, the original CryptoNote transactions, which had multiple outputs, it would only look at one output in the Coinbase transaction. And so, okay. Okay. Um, you know, and so now, you know, since we're, since P2 pool is paying out every individual miner in the Coinbase transaction, you know, the Coinbase transaction can have uh, 30, 40, or hundreds of outputs in it now. And so, with the with the old optimization in place, 
a wallet would only see the first output and ignore all the rest of them. Now that was patched in the latest 17.2.3 release. Uh, so, you know, the CLI was updated immediately. I think both Monterujo and Cake Wallet have now been updated. Um, if there's any other third-party wallets, I'm not aware of them. Does this mean that all all users are scanning all the outputs in the Coinbase? Well, they always were. It's just that usually there was only one to look at. Um, Got it. Yeah, that that's an yeah. interesting optimization that I totally forgot about. <laughs> and I should note. Yeah, oh, sorry. Um, I should note that because the Coinbase transaction is not. Um, it has none of the privacy technologies on it. You can actually do this. The limitation on um, bulletproof um, of 16 outputs does, wouldn't apply because there is a built-in limitation for regular transactions where you wouldn't be able to have 30 outputs on a Monero transaction. But because it's a Coinbase transaction, this works. That's right. On the the other thing, you know, that that Arctic Mind just touched on, uh, you know, the outputs in the Coinbase transaction are not encrypted. Right, so uh, there's, actually, there's no privacy on those. So one of the things about this is uh, you should be P2 pool mining to a separate dedicated mining wallet. Got it. Andres, did you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, I just wanted to ask a question for HYC. If, if uh, you can explain a bit more, what's the, what's the role of pools in peer-to-pool mining, comparing compared to the regular pools that we are used to to use? Well, um, I mean, still... Because it's, still... it's almost like a very decentralized uh, mining system. So people sometimes ask why, what was the role of the pool itself? The pool is, I mean, it's not really a pool, right? It's, it's an entire side blockchain, right? And... Um, Basically, the blockchain there is recording all of the shares that you know, miners submit. And there's a okay. window, there's a, there's a sliding window um, across these blocks, which determines who gets paid. You know, if, if a main chain Monero block is found and, uh, and your shares are within the current window, then you'll get a payout in that block. Mm -hmm. There's only one of those chains, and there can be multiple chains. Oh, well, there can be as many as you like. You know, I mean, it's just like there can be many pools. Yeah, but what's what's the? I mean, what are the pros and cons of having one or several or too many pools or too many chains like that? I I don't really think there's a, such a thing as too many chains. Just like there's no such thing as too many pools, right? Um, mm -hmm. The the trade-off is that you know the the more pools there are, then the smaller the hash rate per pool there can be. And the smaller the hash rate, then the longer it takes to find a main chain block. Yeah. Eventually, so, you, it tends to solo mining, basically. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, there is a trade-off here also in that the amount of outputs that you put out per a block. So there's a there's gonna there's gonna, it seems to me there's gonna be a balance between um sending large amounts of very small outputs and getting more frequent payments. So 
I would expect there'll be some kind of optimal result where you have multiple chains and balancing those two out. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think right now the you know the average single share payout is something like 0 0.003 XMR. Um, or maybe 0003. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there there is a lower bound to to the size of an output that you want to generate. And there's someone like in charge of running those those separate blockchains, or it's just a, like a protocol and well, everybody okay. that is running the, the mining is Every, everybody who participates has to run yeah. their own copy of the P2 pool software, mm -hmm. and so that is like another. Uh, I mean, you know, it has a stratum server on it, so it's like a pool server. It talks directly to Monero D, so it's it's like an add-on to a Monero D node. Right. And what's the incentive for people to do it this way instead of the regular? I, I know what's the incentive for the Monero network <laughs> to make it more decentralized, but what is the incentive for people to jump into the P2 pool instead of the regular mining? Well, you get uh, fees or you get your rewards paid directly to your wallet. So there's no custodial mm -hmm. wallet. Uh, there are no transaction fees anywhere, right? So you get your Coinbase payout immediately. There's no pool fee, there's no you know, tax or anything on it. So all things equal is more profit, basically. Yes. Perfect, thanks. I do have a question. How do you determine multiple chains, on, like multiple pools on the P2P pool software? Well, each, each side chain is independent, right? And the only thing that matters is who's first to find the main chain block. So you define a particular chain that you're going to join? Yes. You know, there's that, there's a config file that just says, you know, here's my chain name. And anybody else who configures the same chain name will be on the same side chain as you. Okay. So if you wanted a different chain name, then you would have a different side chain? Yes. And effectively a different pool? Yes. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we got all those good questions. And thank you, HYC, for just answering them back to back to back. None of them came in through the, the uh, watchers, though. So if you have any questions, make sure you get those in and we can pass those along. Um, any other final comments or questions on P2 pool at the moment? Or should we move on to some other things? All right. Well, I think everyone's excited that this is something that is, I mean, 3% doesn't sound like that much, but it's still brand new and it is working well and it's pretty substantial. Like it, it's very cool to see people adopt this because it does substantially assist with decentralization. Um, because centralized mining pools are like kind of something you just kind of have to deal with in the past, but now it's, it's good that people have a good option that you can reliably earn blocks from now, right? So you That's can actually right. mine a block every so often. Um, Plausoff, I want to turn it to you because you made a really interesting tool recently that Andres is probably very grateful for uh, that allows people to pretty easily host. I mean, I don't want to call it the equivalent of the CCS, but they're able to host a, a, a fundraising page where people can donate for certain things. Can you talk about what you did and sort of why you decided to, to make a fundraiser page that works with Monero? Yeah, of course. Well, if any of you have been following the um, CCS of uh, Monarujo, it, um, it ended. Basically, Monarujo wanted to go their own way for funding, and there was um, there was nothing for them, really. 
they had to basically just update the amounts of donations in a Reddit thread manually, like once a month or so. So I seen that and thought, yeah, of because I've done some other work on um, alerts for donations to the general fund, I knew I could uh, make something simple for them to um, yeah, show donations in li uh, live, real time. And yeah, so I just went ahead and uh, I didn't reinvent the wheel or anything. I just used things that we already have, like the Monero RPC wallet sends a notification every time we get an amount received. And I basically just uh, used that to run a Python script to upload a text file, which the website uh, display with JavaScript. And that was, uh, that was it, really. Yeah, and... Uh, the guys over at Monorujo, uh, M204, took the idea, adapted it slightly, made some cool changes to the uh, user interface, displaying QR images and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, that's what they have now. That looks really nice. Andres, can you speak about why you decided to go this route instead of the CCS? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was just copy and pasting. <laughs> uh, yeah, my brain is not so good at multitasking. Um, yeah, this was how long? I mean, like a month or something ago, uh, at least a couple of weeks. And basically, we started doing the CCS route um, for specifically for the Psychic project. The Psychic project, if, if somebody doesn't know about it, is like, it's a project to make uh, like a companion app for Monero.io, or it could be used with other wallets if those wallets uh, decide to, which basically acts like a ledger. Uh, it's actually the same protocol as a ledger. So your wallet thinks that it's a ledger, which is connected to. And uh, you, uh, the, the interesting thing about this this companion app is that you install that in a separate phone, ideally a phone that you don't use anymore or that is kept offline all the time. Um, and then it works basically as a hardware wallet. Uh, you start the other one; it keeps your sys your your sys safe, and you use that with Monero. And it was quite a uh, it is quite a big project. Um, it 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 demanded a lot of time. Basically, we'll be working on that for, for I think, from the, from the beginning of the year, something like that. Um, the developer, M2049er, was working on that. So it was like a weird, crazy idea that, that he had. And he worked many months on the proof of concept, basically to, to be able to know if <laughs> the whole thing will work. And when we when we saw that it actually worked, and it actually works, I've used it myself. Um, we decided to um, to ask for funding for the rest of the project, um, which is basically make it friendly and test it a lot. Um, in this particular project, um, compared to some of the features that we added to Monerujo in the past, we we thought, and we st I still believe that it's, it was very important to make it very polished um, and also to have a lot of material like uh, auxiliary materials uh, how to's videos um, and really and not only that really have 
the combination between the code and the UX nailed down from the from the beginning because since it's like a security critical part of it, but everything is security critical in, in a in a in a cryptocurrency wallet. But this was even more so because the people incentivized to use this as people that have more than I don't know three dollars of monero's worth. So it was a lot of pressure and we, we make um an estimate of the project and we asked for that. Originally through the CCS, that's where, where we come to. Um, now, we don't have like a prepared statement from the Monerio team or something. I can give you my, <laughs> my own thoughts about it, um, just in case. Uh, but, but the thing is that uh, it was kind of weird because we started talking about, um, I mean, we made up the official proposal and we put that on GitHub and there you have our estimates for the times, uh, for the time they would take, and, and on our hourly estimates, we are three of us in the project, which work in different parts of the world with different needs. And, and we make an estimate, we make, a, we make an, hourly, an hourly rate, and we divided the whole thing. And it was quite positive, positive thing, because from the start, we 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 had a lot of good support from the community. Everybody was super interested in the whole thing and happy about it, and asked for more, uh, for more details on it and for timelines and all that. So we we thought that was a quite a um, a good start for it. Uh, it looks so good so far. Uh, but the thing that we that we we had then was that basically the thing got stuck. Um, somehow in the approval process. I don't know if everybody's familiar with how the CCS works. Um, basically, you make a proposal and then like a, there is a window of opportunity for people to jump in or chime in and say, well, I like this thing. I don't like this. Please uh, make some changes to this, to, to some stuff. And uh, it was all overwhelmingly positive. Some people ask about um, or have uh, concerns about the early rate. Um, at the moment, we address those. And we say, yeah, we could do it like this. Because monetary volatility is right in the middle all the time. From the time that we made the proposal to the moment that we publish it, um, uh, already changed. But we, so we adjusted that. And then um, it, it remained like that for an entire week or something like that without any notice. Um, I I I remember I I even commented myself on on I think on the matches room something about it like what is it happening? And it wasn't a clear answer. It was like an unofficial again vote about it. Like who who thinks that the proposal should be merged as it is? And most of everybody said yeah yeah I rather have it merged and nothing happening yet <laughs> anyway so sounds we, very much like CCS yeah, yeah. yeah it sounds like CCS but and it wasn't in bad bluff or anything so we just decided like, we had this idea like in the back of our heads from before about what, what if we ask for money ourselves um, and it was just like a, a mix of things right because I remember we saw a plot of software that was used for uh, for Monero Chan or something like that, it was to vote for artwork to be done or something like that. So we thought, yeah, maybe we could 
is the beauty is the beauty of open source. Maybe we can just copy the, the damn thing. Yeah, you guys jumped on that right ours. away. I mean, the Monero Chan thing is very much a 4chan art, yeah. whatever thing. But the, I, I noticed they put up a funding page, and you guys ran with the idea very shortly after. So you, you seemed to really like it initially. Because it, I'm not I'm not lying here. It was actually made in like in a day. <laughs> That's I mean, awesome. I mean, That's the, hard work, the hard work was, was done, but we, we discussed about it and we say, well, what, what are we going to do? It's like, well, I mean, we could do it this way or just forget about the CCS and leave it there if people want to donate. And we saw the other, the other thing. I mean, M, M saw the, the, other, the other thing and he said, like, we can like, basically fork this or copy this or merge and squash this and whatever you say in GitHub. <laughs> and it was just like that. And then it was like a whole day of well, but we should put like a better log on it. Uh, yeah, you should, we should change the color. No, we you should have like QR codes. Everybody was so excited. Um, eventually, it's, it's, it's turned out to be a, a total failure because <laughs> we haven't no, raised the money no. in that regards. But it was so fun. Um, I don't see that's a failure at all. I mean, it, I, I don't see why we are we are going to go back to the to the other way. Not with Monerovia at least, um, or not for the for the present time, um, because uh, it started like a way for to put psychic back on the map or or make it even more transparent for people. Um, but it turned out to be very interesting as well to go the to to see um, or to get feedback from 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 users about the the new features that they want. Which is something that yeah I we I get message on Twitter on, on Reddit people ask for stuff everything like when dark mode when something and, and it's all spurs but here is a very transparent way of seeing not so much of the it is a way for the community to see how much effort goes into different kind of uh, projects because it's always useful to see but also for us to see how many. I know that not every transaction is a different people, it's a different person, but it's some somehow telling. Like for example, perhaps in some projects you have less transactions or less donations, but a bigger amounts. Um, I'm making this up, right? But example, you say like this is a feature to for whales to save moneros, and then you see like three transactions of ten moneros each, and it makes sense. And some other stuff that it maybe it's not that important, but people ask a lot, like a like a true dark black pitch black mode, and you have several like of zero point zero zero one moneros, and you can tell that yeah there is, and we use that. I mean, we do, we use that internally to 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 think about what what should we work next, right, or 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 sooner than later. We 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 like every feature that we put there for one reason or another. It's so it's so bad to ask people for money for for stuff that you don't want to do yourself or that you don't believe it. So don't do that because people are going to fund it, and <laughs> <laughs> I will have to do it. But yeah, again, it's fun. Um, I think none of none of the things that we are put so far has been fully funded. They are very cheap things. People go in and donate. They are very cheap things to, to be worked. We are still working on this on the stuff anyway. And the sooner they are, they are being made, they, are, they will be released. But it will be interesting. I am very interested uh, on 
about seeing this like how how it plays on the long on the long run. Yeah, I'm interested interested too. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. I'm glad that there's an easy option out there that took you only a day to to shove together. Yeah. So that's that's good to hear. Thank you, Plausoff, for making a good base that someone. Can Thank you, Plausoff. No problem. I also just want to plug uh, another project using the um, list. Also shows the benefits of um, multiple, like tiny amounts, specific things. Um, XMR radio. They have like a giant yes. list, like ranging from like ten dollars for like small items, equipments, peripherals, things like that, up to, all the way up to like uh, six Moneros for uh, track acquisition, things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. So look, already got broad ecosystem adoption. Yeah. This is the decentralization episode, right? Because we already talked about peer to pool and now it's like decentralization funding. So we are a bit late for the critical decentralization party. I think it was the theme of two years ago. <laughs> but yeah, it's working. And we are working on a so far secret feature of the funding. Ooh. I won't say anything else more, but maybe it would be it would be fun and interesting to spice things up again. We we will keep an eye out for that. Um, okay, um, so I have a few other major topics I need to cover uh, today. First of all, I want to talk about the transaction increase over the last what, month or two, whatever it was. So there's very inorganic <laughs> increase in Monero's transactions. And you looked at it in the chart, and you're like, okay, well, this where is this coming from, right? Because sure, Monero's adoption is generally doing pretty well, and it looks nice, but this is like a 2x increase out of nowhere, right? So we're all like, what's going on? And now it's kind of back down to what it was before. And so if you've been following the Monero Research Lab channel, uh, you should see that, uh, or you sh should have seen that a lot of people are believing that this was very much not just organic growth that was caused by you know one or you know like one entity or group of entities so i just wanted to open the floor on that i don't know if, if co if you had any comments on that or arctic mine uh, just on this sort of behavior uh, we do all know that like going back to Monero research lab paper one and then further enhanced by mrl4 that an attacker spamming a bunch of outputs is one potential way to learn about transactions although with Monero's current rig size of 11, that's kind of hard in practice, but it's just something to keep an eye on. So I just wanted to uh, sort of open the floor. Again, if you have comments, you can put those on YouTube too about the, you know, out of nowhere, probably caused by one or entity or the like, or at least there's some evidence to, that supports it being conducted by one entity as to why this might have been the case. Um, I, I think it's two things to look here. I mean, you got to look at the long-term trend and then you got to look at the fluctuations. And the fluctuations, yeah, I mean, you could possibly see an exchange that's sort of releasing transactions uh, with a certain particular cycle, and you see a symmetry to that. Um, and that were easily, if it's a large enough exchange, could easily change the transaction rates, for example, on a, say, a 24, 48-hour basis, that kind of thing. Uh, and this is the kind of fluctuations that we're seeing. I mean, we are seeing fluctuations that are quite significant, nothing close to what you would need to do any kind of chain de-anonymization of uh, ring signatures. You need about tenfold, 10 or 15 times the transaction rate to do that in any kind of meaningful way. Um, but I will say it could well be the, the major exchanges that are doing it. Um, that would be my immediate uh, um, theory. Um, 
it's unclear that you can that it's a spam attack uh, in any particular way. Someone's trying to test, but that's a lot of spam. Even you know, it's about half the number of transactions. So that my, my take is it could well be major exchanges. If I was going to look at a centralized entity doing it. Cody, did you have any comments, or did you look into this situation at all, or is this something that mostly RockDM has has been championing? Championing. I've, I've been looking at it only, like as an observer, kind of from the side. So, I guess they kind of feel like it was it was definitely from some single entity, and that it might have been malicious, but the fact that they didn't. They didn't go to 10x, like Arctic Mine says, probably implies that they're doing some kind of research, maybe a research into how to do an attack or research into or research into how to do an attack either with the expectation of in the future doing a malicious attack or perhaps in the future writing a paper and publishing it as like a scientist or whatever. But my general take is that uh, since we're our, our current volume is below the minimum penalty free zone we kind of like expect or not expect but ex we can accept that there can be volume increases like this because there's no engineering in the in the protocol to try to prevent it when our current volume is below the minimum penalty freeze out. So it's like this is a possibility that was we, we accepted, I guess, implicitly or even explicitly in the design, or not necessarily me, but Arctic Mine and his and the people that came before him in the, this design process kind of accepted. So I'm 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 personally not worried about it. If we have problems after volume exceeds the minimum penalty free zone. That would be more, much more like uh, intriguing, I guess. Um, it's a good point. I mean, the the when you're in the uh, below the penalty free zone, you're effectively no different than say Litecoin, where you have a, a block and a minimum node relay fee, which is because there is a cost in the minimum node relay fee. Um, so that's basically this the position we are in right now, um, and. The the point that the interesting thing is is if you if it's a if it's actually done as a malicious attack in order for it to be effective, it has to be significantly higher uh, to try to de-anonymize the the chain and it has to be sustained for a period of time. Uh, you need well, assuming we stay uh, with ten, you're going to need roughly the, the ring size or maybe a bit more. If you go say to if we increase the ring size and then just simply increases the amount. The other problem with this type of de-anonymization attack, of course, is that there is the potential for a counter attack on the community side. And simply, if everybody starts throwing spam, then the whole thing's not going to work anyway. So you, it's not, I mean, it's a possibility there could be some sort of research or, or, or on a malicious attempt. I am more in the field that it could just be a big exchange, how they process transactions and release them, et cetera, with a cycle that is impacting it. Uh, that's the other possibility that we have to consider. It's definitely, some of it is quite, you know, you can see, you see the up and down, so the sort of a predictable frequency 
oh, uh, on top of the actual um, overall upward trend. So this, there, there is a sort of a micro trend, which is definitely doing something like there could be a signal in there. Um, but, you know, a big exchange could easily do that just in the normal course of business. If they have a fair amount of transaction volume, just how they handle transactions or whether they and how they cycle could easily create an impact like that. So it's, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, one can say it's a specific entity, but Coy's point is good is a good point. We don't have actual penalty pricing right now, and we can't um, in until you hit basically about two to three times the current transaction rate, which would then put us right at the um, three hundred thousand uh, byte limit, and then of course there's this penalty pricing. Um, and what that could do, actually, is if you are an exchange, for example, again, is you may have to smooth out your uh, transaction behavior because otherwise you're going to pay higher fees. So there will be an incentive to to smooth your transaction behavior out if you're a large player. Simply otherwise, you're just going to end up paying the penalty fees. So that's the, the, other, the other element that you have in there. But I mean, I agree with Koi. I mean, I think it's just something that if, if it is, if we suspect it's a centralized entity, um, when it hits the 300,000 bytes, which is a matter of time, I would say well, within a year or a year and a half, then there's either going to be an increase in cost, they're going to have to pay a higher fee to do this, or they're going to have to smooth it out. I was hoping to have either uh, Isthmus or Ruckney on today, but neither can make it. Uh, so... They, they've been alluding that this report will come out. Uh, the initial report on their findings will come out in the next few days. This is a few days ago. So who knows when it will come out. So hopefully soon. Um, any other quick comments on this before we move on to the fun Triptych Seraphis Atlantis Spark stuff? Good on that topic. topic. All right. So, Co, you pretty much have the floor here. So... Most people who are watching Monero Meet are probably familiar with Triptych, at least as a general idea, because you've talked about this over the last several months as something Monero might consider. But given the complexities with implementing multisig for Triptych, generally people have sort of waned away from wanting to implement Triptych on Monero. And so that opens the door to uh, more recent research that is iterating on a lot of the past stuff. One of that is Atlantis Spark. Uh, this is something that uh, the Firo team has helped develop, but it's open code. We could do, you know, in the Monero ecosystem, we could do whatever we want with it. Uh, and you are making a more broad, you know, take a step back design architecture type thing called Seraphis. So could you describe uh, to the people who are listening right now, what, what is Seraphis? What is Lelantis Spark? Uh, why might they be interesting to Monero? And what's, you know, the, the broad differences between the two? Okay, so Surface, Atlantis, and Atlantis Spark are transaction protocols. Um, you can think of them broadly speaking as like the next generation of transaction protocols after Ring CT, which came after CryptoNote. So I suppose the the critical difference between Ring CT and these new protocols is that um, they, the new protocols involve a redesign of key images. 
And this redesigning key images allows us to kind of extract proofs about key images out of the proofs about where your outputs that you're spending come from. So the, the membership proof that shows that when you're spending an output, it comes from the ledger. And of course, in Monero and so on, we have these ring signatures that say, we're spending something from a small set of outputs that exist in the ledger. So since this kind of membership proof structure is so complicated with ring signatures, any effort to simplify those structures has, um, has advantages in terms of the performance and size of those proofs. So membership proofs in Lantis, Spark, and Surface um, can be simpler than in Triptych, for example. Even though, even though, even if you're using the same kind of proofs system between the two protocols, the the, the proof system as applied to Seraphis and Spark would be simpler. So that's one advantage of of, of these new protocols over Triptych. Um, another advantage is that uh, the way you construct outputs can be more arbitrary. So since you're not, you're, the proofs about your outputs that you're spending are divorced from the proofs about their, their membership within the ledger, you can make more complicated statements about those outputs. And this means you can construct a recipient addresses that are recorded in outputs, so the one-time addresses, you can construct these in more complicated ways that have um, beneficial properties. So this is where we get to the part about how multisig in Triptych is, is somewhat problematic from an implementation standpoint compared to how we have it currently in Ring CT. So in Triptych, we have these key images that, since the key, proofs about the key images are embedded in membership proofs, uh, there's, there's very strict limitations about what kind of key image you can have. And the, the effect of this is that it's much more difficult to have a membership proof in Triptych than Ring CT. But since in these new protocols, uh, the proofs about the key images are extracted from the membership proofs, we can now have multi-sig that is just as simple as it is currently in Ring CT. Um, beyond that, by separating these proofs, uh, there are several other properties that we can get. So by separating the proofs, you can actually construct the proofs separately. So one, one thing you can do is you can construct a proof, a proof that says I'm spending an output, but you don't, you don't immediately create the proof that says it exists in the ledger. So you can, you can, you can, um, Delay creating the membership proof until later, after you've, after you've signed and said, I'm, I'm going to spend this output. 
So you can actually make a signature saying you're spending an output that doesn't even exist in the ledger yet because you don't have to make the membership proof yet. So you can, you can make a proof spending an output that was created by a transaction that has not been added to the ledger. And then after that transaction has been added to the ledger, you can create your membership proof saying, hey, I'm spending this output that exists in this transaction. And then after that, you can submit your ori original transaction to the network and then it's added. So you get this chaining of transactions that's out like out of order compared to when they're added to the when these transactions are added to the ledger. So my understanding is that this this kind of transaction out of order transaction chaining is very or is I don't know very but is helpful for atomic swaps where uh, if you want to make an offer with Monero for Bitcoin, you can't do that without transaction chaining. So right now, the, in atomic swaps, your only UX is you make an offer with Bitcoin uh, for Monero, and then the Monero holder comes and completes the offer. But with, with transaction chaining, you can get the opposite as well, hypothetically. That's my understanding. Um, another benefit, right, another benefit to having these proofs separated is the, the key images themselves can be constructed using only your, only some view key material. So you can actually identify when an output is spent using view key material without needing to, without needing knowledge of your private spend key. Um, in the in the, the wallet, so you can have a some kind of view only wallet that sees spent outputs, which is something that we <laughs> wanted for Ring CT. Yes, <laughs> something we wanted for Ring CT, but all the ideas we had were like not really practical. Um, there's also you can also have even more tiers of wallet permissions. So you can have you can have a, you could have a tier of wallet that only identifies received outputs without reading the amounts. Then you could have a second tier which which views amounts in received outputs and views outputs that have been spent. And then a third tier that allows you to spend those outputs. So you could have a hardware wallet, and then your local your local phone wallet, and then a third wallet that's scanning the ledger for you to find outputs that you own. And so th there's a bunch of different combinations of wallet permission tiers enabled by this kind of modularity and separation of proofs. So um, if we did, or if I, let's see. If we want to pursue these new new protocols, there's actually a big decision that has to be made about what kind of new addresses to use. New addresses. Um, let me think. Oh yeah, regarding the funding that we were discussing earlier, uh, crowdfunding. Uh, Rucknium mentioned how in BCH, Bitcoin Cash, they have this funding system where 
you collaboratively fund a transaction. So you, you have this, this transaction proposal that pays output to the, uh, the fund requester or whatever. And then people can contribute outputs, spent outputs to that transaction. And only when enough funds have been assembled does the transaction can the transaction be submitted. And so the by having modular or separation of proofs, you can have separate, let's see. I guess technically you can do this in Ring CT, but since we don't we don't have the implementation yet, or not yet, but we don't have that implementation, we can't do it. But you can have by separating proofs, you can you can have spent or the this the statement that I spent an output, you can have separate statements that aren't connected to each other. And then you lump them together into a transaction before submitting it. So this kind of allows you to contribute funds without and then later remove those funds from the transaction if you change your mind before it gets fully funded. So that's kind of an interesting side note, I guess. Um, so the differences between the, the Seraphis and Lalenta Spark, um, my understanding is there's only, or from a practical standpoint, there's probably only minor differences. Um, they are very similar protocols. They were kind of, the original idea that inspired them was this idea of proof separation that uh, myself and Aram or Aram came up with independently, but around the same time. And then so we kind of, uh, after that, we kind of uh, had a lot of discussion to figure out uh, the, the new key images or how to construct key images so that they work well with this proof separation. So we have, we have a lot of overlap, I guess. Um, the previous, or last week, uh, Spark and Seraphis were, or from my point of view, they were equivalent. Um, but after a recent uh, protocol fix to a problem that was encountered, there's, there's been a little divergence. But overall, they're very similar. Uh, in practice, there might be slight verification or size differences, although I I'm still in the process of building prototypes to actually do performance testing and so on. But yeah, there's not, there aren't too many differences too. So yeah, that's all I have to say. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, does anyone have questions for him on what is, you know, what's going on in this sort of research? I mean, it's so new, I would say that, and like the line to Spark paper is now out for people to review and that has all the security proofs in it. Although of course they needed to make the change so that people couldn't people with the view key couldn't burn other people's funds, which is a very important security feature that was not covered in the original version. Um, so clearly these things need a, a, some extra review, but ultimately they have very good promise, I'd say, to um, improve Monero. The, the consequences, Coast said, is that you would need new Monero receiving addresses to continue using you know this 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 improvement. Uh, but any questions from anyone else here on Monero Beat on uh, on what the light to spark and surface are? No, I just I just have one. Um, in the case of that 
possible feature that where you could gather a lot of funds and it, it doesn't unlock until until you reach the threshold, kind of like a Kickstarter thing. What happens with the funds if you don't reach that 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 threshold? They just remain stuck. Uh, the funds aren't. The funds are just outputs you own. Normal. They're just normal outputs, yeah. and then you say, "I'm going to spend this," and then you send a proof to the the funder or fundee, and then they hold on to this proof and submit it later once they have enough to fill the balance of the transaction. So you could you could just make another transaction with that output before the funding up or transaction is submitted. But one one problem I noticed with this is the fund D could just fill the transaction with their own funds to get like some fraction that was funded by other people. So it's kind of yeah. has that risk to it. Interesting point. Yeah, that's it's good to think about that ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, but it's also interesting that you can take your your donations back. I mean, in any moment up to the moment when they're 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 fully funded. That's it's like a promise. It's like a I had promise. A, real quick. I had a question that came in. I just want to make sure we address it. So, um, we had two questions. One uh, is the setting delay of twenty blocks. It's not actually twenty blocks. It's ten blocks in Monero. Uh, obsolete. Um, well, at the moment, it's not, the answer is obviously no. But if we went the Lantis Park direction, for example, would it be would that move us to make it obsolete? And number two, can you talk about the address scheme variance in Seraphis? Uh The the ten block lock time is kind of a. Permanent. I I feel like it's a permanent feature of of having reference of the kind of, of having anon anonymous reference proofs. So the problem, the the big problem is that if you try to make a transaction that references an output that is one block old, and then the chain gets reorged. The, the last 10 blocks get reorged, and suddenly the output you referenced is in a different spot. So now your membership proof, your reference proof is invalidated and your transaction gets dumped. So in the reorg zone of like 10 blocks, as we have assumed, you have this big risk of your transactions just getting dumped at random. And they can easily be, this, can, this is an easy attack vector by, um, malicious miners or mal just malicious transaction authors who intentionally try to force reorgs, which happen already as like a natural behavior of the system. So I think the 10 block lock time is permanent um, unless you move to something like Stellar, the Stellar consensus protocol, which is way, way different from proof of work, but it doesn't have this 10 block lock time. Um, I also think it's unlikely we'll ever move to that with Monero, but there are there are cryptocurrencies out there that use it. Um, the second question was more about the address schemes. So there's like eight different, no, seven, seven or eight different like combinations of permissions. So it's kind of like plug and play with what you want your permissions. Uh, structure to be so there's there's a few different like things that your permission tiers can do you can 
identify owned outputs. You can read amounts encrypted inside those outputs or any encrypted memos. You can see if your output is subject to a Janus attack. You can see outputs that you have spent and you can spend owned outputs. So these five things are you can kind of mis, mix and match amongst three different permission tiers. With the, the bottom one is always your spend tier, um, but you can you can kind of shift around those those permission those permissions between the different tiers as you desire. More more or less, there's some restrictions. Thank you, Kill. Arctic Bai, did you have something? Yeah, um, I, I was um, actually going to ask about another uh, 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 another question, and that's to do with the. Uh, well, first of all, I, I know that Core is working on on getting the the transaction size and verification times, etc., in order. But when we talk about the real uh, problem, and especially the ten um, transaction limit, um, there, of course, there is. The possibility that someone could actually, if I understand correctly, um, submit it right at the end. Right? They could add. Um, they could they could they could still have a, a sort of um, parent base for, uh, sorry, child base for parent situation um, at one point in the process. If I'm not mistaken, if that could still be done. That was kind of my question. You could still do it at one point in the process. I'm not sure, quite sure what you're talking about. Um, like have a situation where one transaction, uh, the parent pays for the child. So the child pays for the parent, like you can do in Bitcoin, for example. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I, I just realized one thing you can do with this, um, with these new protocols, is you can delegate your membership proof to the recipient of the transaction. So you can make a transaction that spends an output in the last 10 blocks, and then you can give the membership proof and the uh, partially or the partial transaction with your, your with your signatures author, authorizing tra fund transfer to the recipient. And then once the 10 blocks have passed, they can immediately make the membership proof and submit it, submit the transaction to the network. However, this uh, leaks the true spend, true spends of your transaction to the recipient. But I guess that's one approach. So you would lose your privacy on the on the rings, essentially. With the yeah, for that, not nothing, with the public. Yeah, but just to, to, to the person who's receiving the transaction, yes. Yeah, because they would know they would have to reconstruct the ring structure themselves to submit it right yeah so they would see the ring structure in order to submit the proof they, they could choose their own ring or they would have yeah. to choose their own ring. yeah but they would know what the what the true spend is yeah yep just uh real quick we're over so um you know i want to quickly thank everyone for coming here thank you plowsoft thank you hyc Ernick Bryan co uh, Andres, it's great having you all. Thanks to everyone who watched here also. Um, do you th 
I, I do think uh, we, should, we should probably just add one one or so more questions uh, for Cole before we 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 get out of here. Uh, but I, I do think it's good that we have these. We should have a good, another one in another month. So thanks thanks everyone for joining us. A lot of very interesting developments to talk about in, in the last month. Um, so Cole, I guess real quick, what are the next steps then for Lawyer Spark and, and Seraphis? What, what what's going on next? What can the community uh, besides just watching the Better Research Lab channel, what can the community do to stay updated with these things? Uh, well, I have my. I'm right now. I'm working on performance mockups for all the for both protocols and for all the variations uh, in the protocols, so we can actually see how different design choices affect the transaction size and verification times. So you can follow my branch if you want. Uh, I've been working on it for the past few weeks, maybe a month even, I don't know. Uh, so when that's done, that'll be cool to have some nice graphs. But there's so many variations, it's just driving me crazy. Um, other than that, I've been just talking in the research lab channel. What was the other question? Uh, I guess so. You, what was the other question? Yeah, I think you kind of answered both of them. One was how did you? How do people uh -oh. keep updated? And two, what are the next steps from your perspective? And right, next steps. Um, so I'm, I, I want to keep working on this or get this performance stuff done. This so that'll go in the efficiency section of the Seraphis paper, and also the security model and proofs are being worked on by Coin Student Twenty Forty Eight who you can find in the I guess you if anyone wants to help with that they could ask coin student where he's at and if he needs a hand with anything awesome well thank you so much for all this uh, for people who are interested in Atlanta spark Monero talk recently had an interview with a Rob and Sarang so that'll probably be out in the next few days so you can see them walking through. Those are the two co-authors. Of course, Co was acknowledged in that paper also. So those three people are really knowledgeable in this space. So it's good to have uh, such good interest here. Uh, but again, thank you everyone for joining the Monero Meet this week. Uh, thank you, HYC. Thank you, Arctic Biden. Uh, Andres, thank Co, you. Uh, it was a great pleasure having you here. We didn't even cover everything that's happened over the last two months. So we have plenty of other to talk about. Uh, but yeah, take take the orange pill, people. Take the orange pill. Give it All right. Bye, everybody. Okay, bye. 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 bye.